0: Asking if my hands are sweating? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah? yeah? A little bit. I have hyperhidrosis. Okay. Realized something, starting uh, sitting over there. And that is that this message is for me. So um, there's, there's a disclaimer in there. And if you hear any anger, that's because I'm talking to myself. Um, however, it will be up to you to take the parts that apply to you. And apply them to yourself. So if I ever say you, I mean me. Sound good, Dave? Not my voice. I know that's perfect. But Okay, so um, first off, I'd like to thank you. uh, Big thank you to the leadership for allowing me to speak. I think that's cool. um, That they would allow me to speak. Uh, Then next week is Nick. So, get ready for that. That's going to be fun. He always has some good information. Uh, (laughs) He's my best friend, and I've I've benefited from a lot of wisdom from him. So, I I think uh, it's exciting that the church would let let us talk. That's fantastic. So, the title of this message is Christians in Internal Investigation. A few weeks ago, Dave brought us a message about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. How many of us heard that one? Okay, yep. Remember feeling astonished at these amazing things that the people had done? It's just you sit there in awe and you think about how can somebody be that faithful to God? How can God use somebody that strongly? That's how I felt. Uh, Remember Esther and her bravery? Or how about Jonah and his uh, reluctant drudgery, which actually turned into something good there? Um, there's always the hope that we have in the possibility that that could be us. I mean, that's, that's why it's exciting. That's why we, we remember it from a small age, because it's astonishing. And it's, it's really the same concept, I believe, as, as superheroes. You want to be that person. You want to have that accomplished through you. Is that selfish? I have no idea. I'm not going into that. But it's cool. <laughs> but yeah, that's the point, is to be that person. However, uh, before anything else, let's take a little bit of time to look at ourselves. So again, me. A <clears throat> little inward evaluation, if you would. Here's a disclaimer. Uh, I'm about to generalize in this message. Be aware of that. However, it comes from my 25 years of personal experience and uh, more written and spoken admittance in interactions and observations than I can count. That being said, let's all take the time to approach this from an open-minded perspective. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, so don't take it that way, please. Please. That's not my intention. Again, I'm speaking to myself. I know you've heard this question before, but I'm going to ask it again. Pretty strongly. When do we stop being Christians? I know I've heard Pastor Tim ask that question many times. But as North American evangelical CNMA espousing Christians, when do we stop being Christians? Do we feel comfortable wiping our feet at the door right out there that all of us walked through this morning and uh, stop being churchgoers at that time? I, I know on more than one occasion, that's me throughout the week. I wipe my feet at the door on the way out, that's it. And I don't feel comfortable with that at at all. So it's important, I think, to ask ourselves, are we being Christians on Sunday only? Is that the only time that we're being Christians? I would hope not, but I know for me a lot of the time that's the truth. How many of us are okay with that? Again, I am not. I've lived the majority of my life with that belief. However, I have not acted on it. And this is, it's shameful to me to admit that. But in all honesty, that's how I've lived my life. Which means that's what I truly believe, because we do actually act on what we believe. So if you fall into that category, you might be like me. Um, this, little lot of the time, ends up being a bit more selfish than we'd like to admit, which is why it's shameful. I think it's pitiful. I think I qualify as being pitiful in this regard. I would argue that a large, a large portion of North American Christians quote-unquote believe in themselves and their comforts and their happiness more than really anything else. There's a lot of cultural factors that play into this, but that's not the point of today's message. So uh, let's look towards some common actions that there are. First, let's evaluate the culture a little bit. We're not going all the way back to more than I would care to talk about. Um, First, we're just going to start with the culture today, right now not the history of it but the culture right now. I believe the current reigning mindset in the secular culture is the millennial mindset. That's what you hear on the news, that's what you see on social media. I am a millennial. I I don't think it's outrageous for me to make that claim either. What does that mean? Very simply, it means that the individual, if the individual is happy, that's all that matters. That's a very simple, broken-down perspective of what a millennial's mindset is. That's how they think. That's why they do the things that they do. How do I know that? Let's see. Let's take a look around us. Commercials. Anybody watch any of those? (laughs) There's too many of them, I agree. (laughs) But in commercials which are created with the purpose to pander to the minds of the time, being the culture, in order to propagate a reaction from the populace towards a certain goal, whether or not it's monetary, or whether or not it ends in the assumption of happiness. If it's optimized or increased in any way, by associating the individual being presented to with the item, process, message, etc., that the commercial presents. That's the point of a commercial. You see me switching pages a lot. I feel good about this. It's kind of eight pages long. It might be 32 font, <laughs> but it makes me feel good. <laughs> it's not actually 32 font. I'm not telling you what it is. So, How about the radio? Have you listened to the top radio stations, top trending radio stations, not K-Love, not Moody? Have you listened to them? I have. I I do quite frequently. Um, Any ideas as to the resounding message that you hear through and through to the majority of radio stations? I'll give you a hint. It starts with, Personal ends with happiness. Got it? Bright bunch, you really are. No, I know you know that already. I'm serious about this, too. Have you listened to what the popular radio personalities say, how they portray themselves, the things that they talk about, the segments that they create on their station? It, it actually, if you stand back and look at it objectively, it is kind of horrifying, the things that are created. There are segments on radio stations, the most popular radio stations, devoted to humiliating people. How do they do this? They do this by one person messages them and says, Hey, this person wronged me. It's usually a cheating couple. This person wronged me. So what do they do? They say, Okay, we're going to defend this person because we're going to boost their morale in the public mindset. They do a three-way call. They don't let the person they're about to accuse of this thing know that the other party is on, then publicly humiliate them and wait for that all to play out when the other person jumps in and now accuses them. And that's popular. That is that is popular talk radio. It's not even it's popular music radio. These are the segments. To me that's kind of horrifying. It's it's really gross. The worst part of this scenario is that the goal is not to accomplish any kind of resolution for that relationship. That's not the point. It's not to help the couples. Instead, the point is to demean the person toward which the radio station has determined is in the moral wrong. Even when sometimes there's no actual proof. And you're just taking it on a wing and a prayer that somebody told you something that actually took place. As long as there's a popular opinion to propagate, it's popular. Which must always end in the indignant person's pride being fortified through an emotional coup de grace and therefore raising the status of said individual in the eyes of the masses and accomplishing a pleasant feeling for the victor. The radio segment has accomplished its mission. Again, that being said... The culture of the radio is in exact alignment with commercials. What do you find on radio stations? Commercials. They're funded through them. That's no surprise. So we even haven't started talking about the music on the radio station. We just talked about the personalities and the mindset of the the culture of the radio station. So let's talk about the music. With the rise of post-modernity, Music has gotten more and more confusing, especially for people of my father's generation to understand. Sounds like just a bunch of noise, so let's go with a bunch of noise. EDM music. Let's take that for an example, electronic dance music. Um, Many of us might hear this music and immediately think, as is plenty fair to say, what's the point? What's the point of music like that, where it just sounds like a brick being thrown through several panes of glass? I enjoy EDM music. I'm I'm guilty of that. Well, it's a fantastic question. It really is. And EDM music is a very popular accompaniment to drugs and sex. It is incredibly popular today. And I'm not just saying that as a wild speculation. I know several people who that's what they do on the weekends is they will go to an EDM concert with the sole intent of tripping on acid and banging everyone around them. Sounds incredibly vulgar. It is, but that's the honest truth. When you ask why they do that, and I have asked why, again, this is my personal experience, it's the same answer across the board without a doubt. Because it makes me feel good. Because it makes me feel good. That's in alignment with commercials. That's in alignment with radio. That's in alignment with our culture. The answer doesn't deviate from that. Now, we know that music elicits emotional responses. Something that my father is very fond of saying all the time is that Music bypasses the cognitive ability. It goes straight past your thinking and impacts you, whether it's on an emotional or subconscious level, it does. That's why you'll find yourself randomly humming, singing, whistling a thousand different songs until somebody says, what are you doing? What are you singing? You know, that was just going through my head. Then you stop and you realize, I was actually, yeah, I was humming that. So it passes the cognitive portion of our minds it's very direct that's how it influences us and if you've ever been guilty of randomly humming a song, you're well aware of this with that in mind why wouldn't that be a perfect addition to the drugs and sex you don't even have to think about it at that point, it just impacts you it's a no brainer Side note, this isn't actually what this is about, because we're talking about Christians in this message. So it will tie in. Pay attention. With this being said, where do we stand today as Christians in a culture that propagates this mindset? In a Christian North American culture that we are in today, by being in this church, you're engaging in it. You're engaging in being a Christian. I honestly think we do a decent job of not entering into the extreme behavior aforementioned. At least, I don't know anybody in this room that does that. However, I believe that there's the same mindset to much of our actions as North American Christians. Why do I say that? Some people probably have a pretty good idea. In fact, a lot of this is motivated from conversations that I've had with a lot of you. But let's take a look at us now. I'd like to start by reading you something from the book that Jessica and I are currently going through, entitled Prayer Communing with God in Everything Collected Insights from A.W. Tozer. And I brought the book here because it's more than just a small quote. Chapter 5, Prayer, No Substitute for Obedience. Have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late? And how little revival has resulted? I have. That's what you hear on Moody. That's what you hear on Caleb. You hear about Revival. Considering the volume of prayer that is ascending these days, rivers of revival should be flowing in blessings throughout the land. That no such results are in evidence should not discourage us, rather it should stir us to find out why our prayers are not answered. Everything has its proper cause in the kingdom of God as well as in the natural world. The reason for God's obvious refusal to send revival may lie deep but surely not too deep to discover. I believe our problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. A church, for instance, follows its traditions without much thought about whether they are scriptural or not. Or it surrenders to pressure from public opinion and falls in with popular trends, which carry it far from the New Testament pattern. Then the leaders notice a lack of spiritual power among the people and become concerned about it. This has happened in this church. What to do? How can they achieve that revitalization of spirit they need so badly? How can they bring down refreshing showers to quicken their fainting souls? The answer is all ready for them. The book tells them how. Pray. The passing evangelist confirms what the book has said. Pray. The word is echoed back and forth, growing in volume, until it becomes a roar. Pray. So the pastor calls his people to prayer. Days and nights are spent begging God to be merciful and send revival upon his people. The tide of feeling runs high and it looks for a while as if the revival might be on the way. But it fails to arrive and the zeal for prayer begins to flag. Soon the church is back where it was before. And a numb discouragement settles over everyone. I have felt that numb discouragement. What went wrong? Simply this. Neither the leaders nor the people have made any effort to obey the word of God. They felt that their only weakness was failure to pray when actually in a score of ways they were falling short in the vital matter of obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15:22. Prayer is never an acceptable substitute for obedience. The Sovereign Lord accepts no offering from his creatures that is not accompanied by obedience. To pray for revival while ignoring or actually flouting the plain precept laid down in the scriptures is to waste a lot of words and get nothing for our trouble. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 15. We're going to go ahead and start at verse 10 through 23. The context is explained in the verses, so let's go ahead and read. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned from, me, from following me and has not cared, carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, And it was told, Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did not obey the voice of the Lord, and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. Or sorry, I did obey the voice of the Lord. And have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, "Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For the rebellion is as the, is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord." He has also rejected you from being king. Does that sound familiar? In correlation with what Tozer wrote, does that sound familiar? It does to me. I've seen that play out more than once in my own life and in this church. Do we wonder why God's not answering our prayers to the extent that we're praying? I can't add more valuable insight to what Tozer said because it's like a Mack truck hitting you. Anything I try to say is just going to deaden that impact. But we can explore the idea together. That's what Samuel is expressing. (coughs) What just happened in that passage? Is this anything we've experienced? I've experienced something almost exactly like that. And it happened a lot when I was younger. still happens now, but I'm better at covering it up. What happened when I was younger is my parents would leave and say, have this accomplished before we come back. And I would not do it until I saw them coming in the driveway. And then I would rush to get it done, because I would hope that in the second they saw me working on it, without it being completed, but my, my focus was on it, I justified that to myself as, oh, they'll come in and be like, good job, you, you're doing what we took. No, they told me to have it done by the time they got home. So I did most of it. I did, my intention was to do all of it, but my intention and justification was outside the parameters that was given to me. That's exactly what Saul did. So that's a, it's a <clears throat> happened all the time with me. And it wasn't just with dishes or vacuuming or dusting. Um, I struggle to find times in my life where I clearly hear God tell me to do something where I actually follow through with doing it. That whole aspect of shame again, that's what I feel talking to you about this. Because I'm admitting to you that I am no different than Saul. And look what happened there. It's not a good ending. So it was, it was very just awesome to see today when I walked in for prayer. By the way, I would like to really uplift the um, pastoral search committee who comes to prayer every single week? Thank you very much. Um, but when I saw the slides that were up there, I have not talked to my father about my message at all. In fact, I finished it today at 7:30 a.m. So um, to have him prepare those prayer slides that we prayed about today in, in prayer, uh, and to have it align so perfectly with this, that's awesome. And then for my mom, I also didn't talk to her about this, to read that passage about God who keeps us from stumbling. That gave me hope. Because all I see, and I'm really good at seeing this in myself, is how often I fail. I'm really good at pointing that out. I struggle to remember that God is the God who keeps us from stumbling. So thank you mom Worked perfectly It's a good resolution to this section But I believe this What I've just described to you To be The most common issue That North American Christians face today Why do I keep saying North American Christians Why don't I just say all Christians Because it's specific to our culture It really is that's who we are, that's how we've progressed. These issues are because of the culture that we have. And it's because we've adopted a lot of it into the Christian culture. I think you'll, def- you'll find everything I described in this message so far, apart from the extremes, have been adopted into Christian culture on one level or another. And, you know, that's where we've landed. That's where we've landed. We're, we're, not, we're not that different than the world around us. They're just not ashamed to be doing it. So, how often do we find that our prayer is not accompanied by obedience? And how many of those times are because it's uncomfortable? or because wouldn't exactly make us happy. I find that as being my motivation quite a lot. That's a large pill for me to swallow. But if I'm being completely honest with myself, it's true. It's a very introspective determination that we have to make, and it feels very shameful, again, and pathetic to admit But that's part of being Christians is we get to admit this. This is something that we can turn from. This is something that God helps us when we're stumbling. There has to be willingness on our part. Absolutely has to be. I think that's what's missing. I'm going to switch it the focus just a little bit what do we teach in churches in North America what do we teach in small groups what do we teach in Bible colleges what do we teach in seminary we're no longer focused on the obedience aspect if we were there'd be quite a significant amount of evangelism taking place in North America where there is almost nothing compared to most of the rest of the world. And it would be a daily occurrence. Personally, individually, that would be a daily thing. That would be your main focus. That would be my main focus. And it almost never is. Almost never is. To hear John talk about me last week was just the biggest slap in the face to myself. That means I look good on the outside. That's not what's happening, though. Not to the extent that it should be. How many of us evangelize, even once a day? I don't. Evangelism is supposed to be a function of every member of this body of of Christ, everywhere across the world. What does that banner say? Run, go into the world, and preach the good news to all creation. I don't do that. And that's, that is a key focal point of what we're supposed to be doing, and we're not doing it. Instead, we're focused on in college, in seminary, in Bible schools, in, in church. What we get taught is how to be the perfect Disciple. We get great theology, we get awesome debating skills, but it doesn't mean anything if we're not using it to evangelize. So when I talk about shame, I don't think there would be a bigger shame to myself than dying, going to heaven, and looking at God and saying, I didn't really try that hard to save people around me. I knew I should have, but I didn't. That's even harder for me to swallow. It's terrifying as well. Makes a lot of questions come up. even the practice of discipleship has degraded to only more understanding of theology a lot of the time. We need to let the Holy Spirit take charge. And we have to be willing. Again, that's the key part. If you do that, if you wind up evangelizing once a day, I think you'll be pretty amazed at what happens. I think we'll look a lot like Esther. I think we'll look like a lot of the extraordinary Bible characters that we hear about when we're younger. And it's not going to be a prideful thing. It's going to be a heartfelt thing. So let's get back to obedience. How obedient was Christ to God the Father? Never skipped a beat. And it cost him his life. He obeyed to the point of death. Many of us obey to the point of comfort and then cover up the importance of obedience with the delusion that we need more prayer to cover the inadequacies. Let's read the rest of 1 Samuel 15 starting at verse 24 to 35. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back, following Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. That is why I need you. That's why we need each other. Just as Samuel was there to reveal Saul's perversion of obedience, God has put us in each other's lives to do exactly that. Why does the phrase, iron sharpens iron, means so much why is that such an impactful idea I keep finding out that there's more and more reasons why that's an impactful idea this happens to be one big one because left to our own devices we stray so far from the truth I know I do now as obediently as possible Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for giving me the courage to be honest in front of my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I pray that your words were spoken and that our hearts were open to listen. God, help me change Keep me from stumbling. Give me the courage to face my discomfort and be a true reflection of your Son. I pray this for all of us in this church. I pray that for the entire Christian North American culture. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.